Isn't guapo... Is that fat or ugly? I think it's beautiful. Mm. No. Find out right now. Yeah. Sure. In Mexico, in 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 Spanish. In Spanish, the language of the Mexico. Yeah. They point at me and they say, "El gringo, muy guapo." What does that mean? Oh, well. White boy is very handsome. There you go. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much. don't encourage him, though. You know, you can all lie to Garrick. Nice. All right, here's what I want you guys to do to start off. Um, I want you to answer the question with the people around you. Uh, you can answer it one of two ways. What is the bare minimum things you need to believe and do to be a Christian? Or if you want to answer it this way, you can say, okay, once you start doing this, you are no longer a Christian. Or once you start believing this, you are no longer a Christian. Go, and then we'll come back and share some answers. All right, so what do, you, what do you guys think? What are, like, the bare minimum things you need to believe and do to be a Christian or things that you can't believe and do to be a Christian? Yeah, you got to believe in Jesus. That's, that's generally a pretty given one. Christian? <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Once you have crossed into the realm of sacrificing things to Satan... No longer a Christian. Good answer. Duncan. Okay, yeah. Deep. Duncan's going to teach the lesson now. That's way better than what I had. So, yeah. What Duncan said is, uh, you're not saved by what you do, but if you believe something about something, you will have actions that follow it. That's a great point. Megan? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. So uh, you have to believe in the Trinity. You have to believe that Jesus was God and died for your sins and resurrected on the third day. You've got to believe those things about Jesus. It's not just good enough to just believe that Jesus existed. So great answers. Lizzie? Okay, yes. So, yeah, if you were to... Got a shout-out for your brother. So, good answer. Yeah. So, what Lizzie is saying is that when you become a Christian, to stop being one is really a total, like, I have to abandon a lot of things that I thought were true and things that I uh, did and believed in uh, to become no longer a Christian anymore, right? Is that kind of what you were saying? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ooh, good question. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. What do you guys think? Can you can you do anything that will cause you to lose your salvation? <laughs> Keelan asked the question, but Keelan's also answering the question. So listen up guys. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, okay, so what Keelan said, and this is true, once you are a Christian and you have a relationship with God and that you are saved and you have salvation, that's something that you possess forever. You may choose not to live it out. You may choose not to uh, be experiencing that relationship with God on a daily basis. There are a lot of choices that you can make to maybe not have the best experience here on earth as your relationship with God, but it's not something that can ever be taken away from you. And 
Uh, I, will so, I will tell you that there are people out there who are Christians who think the opposite of that, think that you can lose your salvation, and that they say it's only the people who are uh, loving God at the end of their life when they die still go to heaven. I don't think that's true. And you, So if you ever want to explore that issue more, you can talk to me afterwards on why they think that and why I don't think that. But uh, yeah, that's kind of that's our perspective, is that once you're saved, you're always saved, and you don't have to worry about ever losing that based off what you do. So, good answer. Other, other things that you have to believe in or can't believe in to be a Christian? Yeah, good, good thought. You kind of have to buy into the Bible thing at some point. Uh, because in the Bible is where you find out all this information, you know, and so you have to kind of believe that it's the word of God and you get your, your worldview based off that. Can you, uh, oh, Sam, you got an answer? Teaching the wrong thing or believing the wrong thing? Hmm. What do you guys think? If I if I got up and got, said to you guys, "Hey, you know that Jesus thing's not all that cracked up to be, but Satan, he's pretty good." What do you think would happen to me? Uh, he says at one point that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is an unforgivable sin, and generally, what that's taken to mean is that if you take something that God is doing and attribute it to not God and give it credit to you know, a demonic power or whatever, that that's unforgivable. But what that means by unforgivable is a very, uh, we're not entirely sure what it means, which is kind of a big deal that Jesus says something and we're not entirely sure what it means. But because uh, at the same time, anyone, you know, 1 John 1, 9, all who, all who ask for forgiveness are given forgiveness. You know, God never, there's no Bible verse where someone asks for forgiveness and God's like, no, lightning bolts, and then they're dead. Anyone who ever asks for forgiveness always gets forgiveness. So we're, that's kind of the tension point with that kind of verse. But what do you guys think? If I'm teaching you guys the wrong thing, what do you think God thinks of me? Uh, Amy, we'll go with you first. <laughs> sure, sure. Oh, yeah. If I'm unintentionally promoting Satan versus <laughs> intentionally promoting Satan, it's way different. No, it's true. Unintentionally versus intentionally. Laura, do you have a question you want to add to that question or a comment? Let's make a statement. That way I can drink some water. I feel like if you're like something completely off, then Yeah. So if you had such a wrong view, you might not have already had a relationship with God anyway, and so that Maybe as, an, as part of that. TJ, did you have a comment? Or? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, someone who misrepresents what the Christian life looks like or something like that. Um, did you want to add a comment, Jess? Yeah, so it does say that in Scripture that we who are teachers, or if you are in a teacher, teaching role at any point, you are held to a higher standard because the expectation is I don't just get up here and you know, make it up as I go, but that I've done the research and that God holds me accountable because he's called me to this role. Um, here, here is the thing. Uh, one of my professors said this once, and I think this is true. He said, uh, true of me as well. He said, uh, 10% of this class is wrong. I just don't know what 10% it is. You know? And he just said, 
I am in process growing in my relationship with God and growing in my understanding with God. I'm teaching you what I've found to be true out of scripture and as I've used the tools that have been given to me and am doing my best with that. But there are things that I'm going to get to heaven and think, oh, wow, I didn't realize that I was wrong about that. Because all of us, when we get to heaven, will realize not how right we were, but how wrong we were. And so things that you really uh, bought into and were, you know, dying on because of, you might get to heaven and think, oh, that wasn't actually true. Uh, God was actually working this way. But at the same time, God works within our convictions and uses our convictions and uses our mistakes and all that kind of stuff. So do I think that, uh, I do think that there is a difference between intentional versus unintentional. You know, if I am unintentionally promoting Satan, that's, well, that's still not good. But uh, if I'm intentionally promoting Satan, that's a really bad thing. But if I am unintentionally teaching you the wrong way to understand scripture or the wrong view on a passage, that I don't know that, uh, that's not a salvific issue. That's, I need to keep growing and I need to learn better and I need to get better tools so that I do the best to get the right message. But it's not like God is like, oh, Stan, one more bad sermon and he's getting the ground opened up on him and then I'm gone. You know, like, that's not how God is working on that one. Okay. So does that kind of answer that question? Yeah, kind of. What, what about this? Can you, can you still be a Christian and believe that there are other gods out there? No. no. Okay, so there's kind of some exclusivity to it. Can you, uh, can you be a Christian and still sin? Yes. Do you have to do anything with that sin? What if you're like murdering people? Like, can you be a Christian and murder someone? Yes. No. <laughs> okay, so shh, we've got it thrown out there that all sin is equal. So, you know, if I don't pay for my drink at Starbucks and I then murder the barista, it's okay. <laughs> They're all the same. Right. Yeah, because I mean, well, but let's, let's have a moment of honesty here. How many of us have ever told a lie while we're a Christian? But I knew it was wrong, right? So, hmm. I don't know. These are, these are questions to ask ourselves. God does know our heart. And that's, Nathan, you want? Okay, yeah, so, I mean, really what you're getting at is that if you know that it's, like, let's say, I don't know, the circumstance is, you know, like, not a, a premeditated murder where you've been, like, planning it out for months and whatever, but, you know, I don't know, if you're drunk driving and you kill someone, you know, and, or something along those lines where it just tends to happen and you feel remorse and you ask for forgiveness, God still forgives that, right? Or if you do something really bad and you still ask for forgiveness, God does forgive that, you know, even if you did it willingly and you did premeditate and all that kind of stuff. But here, here is the thing that I want us to get at is when we become Christians, we have to be really clear on what the entrance point into Christianity is and also what the dividing lines on having a relationship with God are. If it's very easy in the church, and you'll see this in uh, churches as you have an opportunity to explore other uh, other churches when you go away to college or if you guys go somewhere else on Sunday or something like that or you don't come here and you go somewhere else for a youth group or something like that, you will see churches have 
tendencies to put dividing lines that Jesus wouldn't have had. You know, um, there was, when I was unemployed, I, you know, applied to jobs that were not here. Shocker. And I was denied jobs specifically for reasons that also would have denied Jesus the job. And you're like, huh, so the standards that you guys have right now uh, wouldn't allow the savior of your religion to work here as well. That's probably an issue. So here's what we're going to do tonight is we are going to look at a story of when Jesus calls his first disciples and what the, what the stipulations he puts on them are. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 5. That's where we're going to be. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And we are going to understand what is really the entrance point into the kingdom you know, or into a relationship with God. And how does it work out once you start following God? And is there anything that can prevent you from staying in that relationship? ESV. ESV. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Verses 1 through 11. Sometimes when I'm reading the ESV, though, I get ahead of myself and then I have to re-fix the sentence because I'm dumb. So... So sometimes it doesn't always follow the ESV. So just so you know. Are we all there? Luke 5, 1. So if you uh, were here a couple weeks ago, we looked at a story where Jesus gives his first sermon and they try and kill him for it. And the reason they try and kill him for it is because he is very uh, pro-Gentile, which is the non-Israeli people. And he says what God is looking for is people who are willing to trust God when they have no reason to and people who are proud but are willing to humble themselves to do what God says. And the people didn't like that, and so they tried to kill Jesus. And then we didn't look at it, but basically what happens after that is that uh, from Luke 4, 31 through 44, there are stories of people who fit that mold, who uh, are very proud and humble themselves, and Jesus works with them, and who have no reason to trust God, but Jesus heals them, and they start trusting God and all that kind of stuff. And one of the stories in there is Jesus meets Peter, who is going to later become one of his disciples, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and Jesus heals her. So that happens. And where we're picking up now is Peter's first or second interaction with Jesus. So first interaction since the healing, now second interaction overall. Uh, and it's, his name is Simon Peter as a whole, so it'll say Simon in my version. It says, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or it might say Galilee. Lake of Gennesaret and, lake, and Sea of Galilee, same thing. It says, And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So what that means is that this is the time of day after the fish are done being caught. You know, fish only like to get caught at certain times of day, and they're only eating at certain times of day. So if you don't, once you're done with that, then there's, you know, the window has closed, and you have to clean your nets and prevent them from rotting. So... It's past the time when fishing is meant to be done, and now the guys are cleaning their supplies. And if they don't, you know, the net will fall apart, and then they won't be able to catch fish again. So just keep that in mind. That'll be important later. And it says, Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put it a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let your, let your nets down for a catch. So he gets in the boat pushes a little bit away so he can get some distance from the crowd, speaks to the people, does that. When he's done, he says, hey, Peter, or Simon, go fish again. But from the beginning of the story, we know they've already passed that window of good fishing opportunity. So Jesus is saying, I want you to fish 
after you've done all the work to clean your nets and put all your stuff away, at a time when, I kn- when you're not supposed to be able to catch anything. So that's what he's asking Peter to do. And Peter says, Master, we toiled all night, and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And so that sounds really polite, but really what Peter is saying is, Jesus, you don't know how to fish. So we don't really fish at this time. We already tried to fish. We didn't catch anything. But he's basically saying sarcastically there, because you said so, I'll do it. You know, and you kind of think, oh, well, he did heal my mother-in-law, so I will try this or whatever. But essentially what Peter is saying is, I know that I'm not going to catch anything if I follow your rules right now because you don't know how to fish, but I'm going to prove that point to you here. And it says in verse 6, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to all their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. So because he's Jesus, he was right that fishing works right now. They catch a bunch of fish, and the boats begin to sink. So they've got more fish than they know what to do with. And Peter says, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had just taken in. So what Peter is saying there, he does two things. He says this line, and he falls down at his knees. And so what he's doing is he is showing the Jewish response that you see in the Old Testament to the realization that they are in God's presence. So if you look in the Old Testament, whenever someone comes into an interaction with God, and they realize that they are in front of God or they are around God, they fall down to their knees to show that they're worshiping him, and they become very aware of their sin. And so when Peter says, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, and he's saying that on his knees, he's saying, I recognize that you're God, and all of a sudden I'm very aware of how sinful I am. Okay, so he says that, and Jesus says, uh, verse 10, and so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, and who are partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And so because Peter realizes that and he makes that realization, Jesus then invites him into following him. And this is a big deal because so the way, um, the way how you got your vocation and how you uh, did what you did worked in this time period is basically <clears throat> every Jewish boy uh, would, well, girls too, but they would all go to Hebrew school and learn the first five books of the Old Testament uh, up until about age 12. You know? And then at that point, uh, if you were really good at learning the Old Testament or, or learning those first five books, you would advance on to learning the rest of the Old Testament. If you weren't very good at it, they would say, okay, go learn uh, a trade. So, go, so Peter has learn, is learning a trade uh, because he wasn't very good at that. If you were really good uh, at learning the whole Old Testament, then you would go uh, and find a rabbi and you would ask them uh, if, you can, if you can be one of their disciples. And uh, you only got picked by the rabbi if you were like the best of the best. Otherwise, he would tell you, no, go learn a trade. Like don't, the religious you know, priesthood life is not for you. So if Peter is working in the fishing life with these guys, it means that at some point he was already filtered out. Like he wasn't good enough and wasn't religious enough and wasn't smart enough to do this. And the fact that Jesus is inviting him to do this now is saying that he thinks that Peter is good enough to be one of his disciples. He may have got filtered out by all the other schooling systems, but Jesus thinks that Peter is worth it. Now, if you know anything about Peter and you're picking the rabbi kickball team, Peter is not the guy that you want on your team. Peter is the guy you end up with on your team. Like, he's the last pick. Like, you don't want Peter... You put him at the end of the lineup. You hope he doesn't screw anything up, okay? So 
Just some moments to highlight for you out of Peter's life. We won't read all of them, but in Matthew 14, if you want to look it up later, Peter uh, walks on water. So does anybody know this story? Yes. What happens in this story? What's going on in the story? Anybody want to tell me the story? Not just mumble it to themselves? Hannah? Yeah, exactly what happens is that he sees Jesus walking on the water. He says, Jesus, I want to come walk to you. Jesus says, all right, come on out into the water. There's a storm going on. As soon as he gets out on the water, he starts to get scared, starts to sink. And then Jesus says, Peter, didn't you think I had this under control? And so you see that Peter's not a super faithful guy. In Matthew 16, uh, let's read this one, actually. So turn to Matthew 16 real quick. <coughs> uh, we're going to be in 16, 13 through 23. It says, now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? So he's saying, who do people think that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build the church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples, tell no one that he was the Christ. So he says, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the person that all the Old Testament's been, you know, waiting for. And Jesus says, you are absolutely right. And because you got this, Peter, I'm going to make you the person that I do all my work through. I'm going to build the kingdom with you. So Jesus essentially says to Peter, you're going to be the first pastor. You're going to be the first person doing ministry. And so the moment after that is said, this is Peter's first, you know, (coughs) ministry thing that he does. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things by the elders and the priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter, you are going to be the one who builds the church. Peter's first thought as a new pastor is, I'm going to stop Jesus from what he's doing. You know, like he thinks Jesus has a mission. He knows he's talking to God. He is God. He's doing tons of miracles. I'm going to prevent him from doing what he feels like he needs to do. So again, you kind of see Peter, that is what we call heresy. You know, there was a point where people were burned at the stake for that kind of stuff. So Peter is not really getting it. Uh, We all know the really famous story around Easter where Peter says, Jesus, I'll go with you wherever. I will die with you. I will do uh, whatever it takes to be with you. And then Jesus says, no, you're going to deny me three times before this night's up. And he does. Um, there's kind of a funny story in John where if you, if you read John's, uh, John's gospel, he, uh, John always refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it's just like a, a literary way of saying, I was part of this without saying your actual name. And so there's a story when Jesus is out of the tomb and it says that they were going to the tomb and John was racing Peter to the tomb and he was faster than Peter. And so Peter arrives like, you know, 20 seconds afterwards. And so Peter's also apparently not that fast. So I don't know why that was included, but it's just John felt that really important for the Bible. And so Peter is kind of heretical, not very faithful, not very, not very fast. Uh, he also doesn't have good aim when they try and uh, arrest Jesus. He attempts to stab the priest's servant, and 
he ends up cutting off his ear. So, <laughs> yeah, if he's only aiming for the ear, that is an insane shot. But if you're aiming for a whole human body and all you hit is the ear, yeah, probably, exactly, that is a problem. So, my point is, is if you look at Peter, he doesn't do that great of a job as a disciple. He's not someone that you're looking at and saying, this guy knows a lot, this guy's super holy, this guy really has it together, that's why I'm picking him to be on the team. He's the guy who is really screwed up and makes a lot of mistakes. And in fact, what ends up happening, though, is that when Peter starts his ministry, and after Jesus has resur- you know, resurrected and forgiven Peter and brought him back into relationship and all this kind of stuff and restores him, the first sermon that Peter preaches, 3,000 people come to Christ, even with Peter not having all this figured out. But then the ironic thing is that Peter starts doing ministry and he gets sidetracked from the gospel and starts preaching the wrong thing. And Paul has to come to him and say, Peter, get your stuff together. Like you are doing work against the kingdom right now. And you need to realize that this is not how Jesus would have done it. And so the point I am making is the entrance point to being a follower of Jesus is all that Peter had was that he realized that Jesus was God and that he was a sinner. But everything else wasn't a requirement. You know, he didn't have it all together. He wasn't, or he was in process on a lot of things. He had a lot of bad views. He didn't have good aim and was pretty slow. Um, He wasn't super holy. And nothing that he did ever disqualified him from being part of God's kingdom or being used to spread God's kingdom. And so the point I want you guys to realize is that if you are on the fence about this Jesus thing and about Christianity and you are in process about a lot of things and you are thinking, I know that I'm not the best Christian and I know that I have doubts here and that I struggle with this and that this is going on in my life, that is okay. The invitation is not to have all those things figured out. The invitation is to say, do I think that Jesus is God? If I can say yes to that and I can say yes that I know I'm a sinner, then I'm invited into following him. But it's in the following of Jesus. If you can agree to those two things, you will work through the other stuff. You will find yourself working through the doubts. You will find yourself working through the things that you are in process with. You will find yourself having the things that you hold really dearly and say, I don't want God to have any part of that and find yourself saying, I do want God to have very much of that. So if you are in process on things like, how does my sexuality work out with a relationship with God? Or how does my dating life work out with a relationship with God? Or how does my future work out with a relationship with God? The invitation is to not have that figured out and then you can be part of a relationship with God. The invitation is to have a relationship with God because you realize that you are sinful and that he is God. And then in having that relationship with him, you start to work those things out because that relationship with him compels you to work those things out. Duncan brought it up in the very beginning where he said, if you believe something, you will have actions that follow with it. And that's absolutely true because you can't not have that stuff work out in your life. And so all I want you guys to think about is that if you are, don't ever let the church or yourself put more pressure on you to be having more figured out than where you're currently at. You know, it's very easy in the church to feel like, oh, you know, you've got to have this figured out. You've got to make this decision. You've got to be doing this thing. And that gets projected onto us a lot of times. Or we project that onto ourselves where you say, I'm really on the fence about Jesus and I don't have, I have all these doubts and I have all these things figured out and I, or I don't have all these things figured out and I don't know what I think about this and whatever. And you think, oh, that means I can't have a relationship with God. And that's not what Jesus said. And what we'll see as we look at more stories It's in fact, the people who thought they had everything figured out and the people who thought that they were super holy didn't get it. But it was the people who said, I know that I'm a sinner. I know this Jesus guy is God. Those are the people who did get it. And that's what we're all invited to. 
The other thing I would say is that if you are someone who is already for sure, yes, I am all in on this Christianity thing. I struggle, but I have doubts and, you know, I'm working through those. Make sure that you give other people the space to keep working through things. It's very easy to say, uh, to look at your own life and forget how much you were forgiven of and not give people the space that you once had. And so that's also important for all of us is to say, hey, I see that you're struggling. I see that you're in process. I see that you're making different decisions than me, but that's okay. I see that that's what Jesus did with Peter. You know, he kept him around even though he opposed him directly and he denied him and that he did all these, he made all these mistakes and he wasn't super faithful. So we're going to look at more stories of what it means like to have a relationship with God as we keep going. But for now, just realize the entrance point into this is super low. (coughs) If you don't believe Jesus is God and you don't believe you're a sinner, those are different things that we can talk about that you will need to believe before you have the relationship with God, for sure. But if you can affirm those two things, you can have that relationship with God and start working through things. If you got any questions or things that are unresolved that I didn't answer, Okay, then I will pray, and you guys can go to small group. <coughs> Lord, I thank you for this time that we can come together worship you. I thank you that you love us enough to <coughs> make the entrance point into a relationship with you super low. I think that shows, thank you that that shows how much you love us and how much you cared about us and that you don't uh, ask of us more than we're able to give yet, Lord. We praise you for that, and we just pray that as we go through our week that we will continue to deepen our relationship with you. In your name, amen. All right, you guys are, oh, can we stack the chairs and push them that way before we, we go?